to the book of Matthew chapter 2, if you would please. What a delight to be in this wonderful meeting, loving the music, the spirit of the meeting. I love hearing Brother Gravely give announcements better than hearing most people preach. And I appreciate Brother Green's message, just tremendous. Matthew chapter 2, I thought I had a sermon when I came in tonight, but after I heard the preaching and the music, I'm not sure that I do. I feel like the little girl was new in school and the teacher was trying to get to know her and she said, now, uh, what does your daddy do for a living? And the little girl said, my daddy's a magician. Oh, she said, I, uh, that's interesting. Does he have any favorite tricks? Well, she said his favorite trick is sawing people in half. She said, I like that trick. And then she said, do you have any brothers or sisters? She said, yes, I have a half brother and two half sisters. I think I've got a half message, all right? I, I think that's about it. Matthew chapter 2, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? That's interesting. You can't be born a king. The son of a king is not a king. The son of a king is a prince. But Jesus is not the son of a king, he's the son of God. He's born king of the Jews, for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found it, bring me word again, that I may worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. Till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they'd opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Father, thank you for this wonderful meeting, the great spirit that is here. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you direct me the very best I know. I'm coming to the portion of your word that you want me to come to, not at all what I had expected or intended. And I trust you to take charge and to anoint me, to empower me, and to speak to the hearts of all of us. Lord, you told us that every time the seed of your word is sown, the devil comes, tries to snatch it away. Bind him, I pray, in the name of Jesus and his demons. And help us to be good ground and to determine to receive what you have for us. We'll thank you in Jesus' name for all that you do. Amen. I want to start with a little quiz. Everybody has to answer. It's true or false. Three questions. You can answer true, false, or uh that's the teenager's answer. How was school? Uh, how'd you do in your test? Uh, do you have any homework? Uh, when you're coming home? Uh. <laughs> Question number one, true or false? Three wise men came to visit the Lord Jesus. If you say true, raise your hand. If you say false, raise your hand. 
If you say, uh, uh-uh, raise your hand. <laughs> Question number two, the wise men came to visit the baby Jesus in the manger. If you say false, raise your hand. If you say true, raise your hand. If you say, I would rather not raise my hand, raise your hand. <laughs> Question number three, the wise men were guided by a star from their home to the place where the Lord Jesus was. If you say true, raise your hand. If you say false, raise your hand. If you say I'm starting to get nervous, raise your hand. Well, we find our answers in the Word of God. Question number one, the answer is, uh-huh. Doesn't say. It says there came wise men from the east. We've assumed there were three because there are three kinds of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the likelihood is there's quite a number of them. Uh, you wouldn't then undertake a long and dangerous journey through bandit-infested roads without a pretty good entourage. But the answer is we don't know. Question number two, the wise men visited the baby Jesus in a manger. The answer is false. We read it. It said they came to the house where the young child was. You say, oh, no, brother, well, that, I've got a nativity set up in my attic. <laughs> I bought it at Walmart. It was made in China. <laughs> Probably has lead paint on it. There's the baby Jesus and the shepherds and the wise men and all the animals. I know, but it says they came to the house. Question number three. Wise men were guided by a star from their home to the place where Jesus was. Oh, you say, I know the answer. We sing about that. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar, following yonder star. Well, I think it's good if our songs are reasonably theologically accurate. I'm not real picky about it. Had a music guy who was real picky about it. He didn't like my songs. But gradually one time he sang that song, Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway glow. And I said, what does that mean? <laughs> Did our Lord have radioactive sandals? <laughs> Doesn't mean anything. They just needed a word to rhyme with go. I think it's good of our songs to be reasonably theologically accurate. We don't get our theology from songs. We get our theology from the Word of God. We sing a lot of songs, aren't right? We sing, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. Well, when does the trumpet of the Lord sound? It sounds at the rapture. When will time be no more? At the end of the millennium. Thousand seven years minimum difference. They just stuck them together in one song. So let's look at our scripture. The Bible says in verse 1, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Judea, uh, Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men. Read me the next three words out loud, would you please? There came wise men from the east. Okay, where were they from? The east. It's not hard. Follow me. <laughs> Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we read me the next two words. Verse 2, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we, what's it say? Have seen. Is that present tense? Or is that past tense? Well, if you're a real English teacher, it's uh, something perfect, but it's basically past tense. We have seen his star. Where? What's it say? In the east. Where were they from? 
Where does it say they saw the star? In the east. We have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. I was preaching this in Alabama, and somebody said, read verse 9. I said, I'm fixing to. Verse 9, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they, what's the next word? Saw. What are the next three words? In the east. Where were they from? Where does the Bible say they saw the star? The star which they saw in the east went before them and came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they said, there it is. We've been following it every day. Right? When they saw the star, they what? Rejoiced. Like it was kind of a big deal. They saw the star in the east. They're from the east. The star which they saw in the east appeared again, and they rejoiced. If I haven't proven my case to you yet, let me give you one more evidence from our text. Where was the Lord Jesus born? Bethlehem. Y'all sounded like the Democrats when they're trying to believe in God or not at their convention. <laughs> Where was the Lord Jesus born? Bethlehem. Where did the wise men go? Where did they go? They went to Jerusalem. There came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now, it's at least eight miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. I would submit to you that if that star was guiding him, it did a lousy job. Would you pay eight, or would you pay a thousand extra dollars when you buy a new vehicle if it guaranteed to have a navigational system that'll get you to within eight miles of your desired destination? <laughs> so here's what happened. The wise men were the Medes of the Medo-Persian Empire. They weren't kings. We sing we three kings. They were more like king makers. They were the power behind the throne. There was a widespread belief, I could quote you from historical writings contemporary to this time, that they believed that a leader was to come from Judah. A great birth was to occur. Now, I can't prove this to you, but I, I, I like to think this. You see, there was another wise man in the Medo-Persian Empire sometime before, and his name was Daniel. Daniel knew all about the Lord Jesus. He knew about the Messiah that should come, the stone cut out without hands. And I like to think that Daniel, when he got that revelation, said to his fellows, hey, guys, when this happens, it's going to be the biggest thing that's ever taken place in the history of the world. You be sure you get in on it. And, and I don't know for sure that happened, but they knew a birth was coming. They saw the star. They said, that's it. And they dropped everything they're doing. They made this long journey. It took them many months, maybe over a year. They saw the star in the east. But somewhere early in the journey, early enough that they would still have been said to be in the east, the star stopped shining. They didn't see it again to the very, very end. Hey, what you do when the star stops shining is really important. They could have gone back home. They could have parked where they were, say, we're not moving to see the star again. You know what they did? They did the best they knew. They're looking for the king of the Jews, and they knew that Jerusalem was the capital of the nation of Israel. And so they figured if they're going to find the king of the Jews, he'd probably be in Jerusalem. 
If I said, go find President Trump, the first place you'd look is 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He might not be there. He could be somewhere else, but that's the most likely place to find him. Now, here's the deal. That's how God deals with his people all the time. A clear call. Definite direction. And then early in the journey, the stars stop shining. Things get cloudy and things get dark. And after a long time, at the very end, the star shines again. Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation and make your name great. And I'll make your descendants as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. A man could number the stars. He could number your descendants. And Abraham packed up, went around the Fertile Crescent, came to the land of promise. When he got there, he had a major problem. He had no son. It is hard to be the father of a great nation if you don't have any children. Infertility is hereditary. If your parents didn't have any children, you won't either. So Abraham says, hey, I'll help the Lord out. Lord, how about Eliezer? He was born in my house. He can be my heir. God said, no, it'll be your son. Sarah decided to help God out. She said, well, you know what they do around here? You can take my maid and you can have a baby by her and we'll raise it as ours. And Abraham said, okay. Hear about another bombing in the Middle East. Thank Abraham. God said, no, it'll be your son and Sarah's. And the last time that God's promise came to Abraham and Sarah, Sarah laughed. Don't be too hard on her. She was 90 years old. I'm not sure anybody here is 90 years old, but I'm pretty sure nobody here is 90 years old and expecting and I'm real sure nobody's 90 years old and wanting to be expecting. <laughs> the Bible says that, that uh, it had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. The Bible says there rose of one and him as good as dead. Uh, and I'm just telling you, there was a long, long time in the life of Abraham. The star did not shine. David, Daddy wants to see you. Really? What? What's up? Samuel's here. Samuel's at our house? Wow. David's the youngest of eight sons of Jesse. You read the passage carefully, you'll find out that Jesse thought David was so unlikely a prospect that he had Samuel inspect his seven first sons twice. It'll say he made them to come before him again. Samuel, David couldn't have been more than 15 years old. Went to war when you're 20. Later on in the next chapter, David brings food to his three older brothers. So if brother number four is 19 and number five is 18 and number six is 17 and number seven is 16, David can't be more than about 15 years old. Samuel pours oil on his head and he said, you are going to be the next king of the nation of Israel. What do you do if you're 15 and you find out you're going to be a king? Cool. <laughs> Yo, dude, when I get the crown, better be good to me, bro. I'll be king soon. David, next chapter, kills Goliath, and that's good. And people get excited about him, and that's good. And Saul begins to use him, and that's good. And then people begin to sing, David, Saul has slain his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. And Saul gets jealous, and he tries to kill David twice, maybe three times, throws a javelin at him, and David runs away. Now, I don't want to get real uh, 
technical or, 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 or controversial, but people argue about when the church started. You know, it started at Pentecost. It started with John the Baptist. It started the many of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. It started in the upper room. No, no, no. It started in the Old Testament. Because they went out with David, everyone that was in debt and in distress and discontented. If that's not an independent, fundamental Baptist church, then you tell me what it is. David's running away and Saul's trying to kill him. He's got a group of 400 men that grows to 600. Saul's got 3,000. And 1 Samuel 27, David says, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me but that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair to seek me anymore on any coast of Israel. Long time in the life of David, the star wasn't shining. Joseph was the first son that Jacob had by the wife he wanted to marry. He showed favoritism to him. The brothers didn't like that. And then Joseph had some dreams, and he made a fatal mistake a lot of Baptist preachers make, young Baptist preachers. He told his brothers his dreams. They weren't very excited. After a while... He's going to check on them. Father sent him to check and see if they're doing their job right. And they saw him off in the distance, recognized him by the special coat that had been given to him by his father. And they said, this dreamer cometh. Well, we'll kill him and we'll throw his body in a pit somewhere and we'll tell that he's some evil beast that devoured him. They decide instead they'll sell him to be a slave. And he ends up in Egypt in the house of a man named Potiphar. Every time you find Joseph, he's the same. Whether he's in that pit or at Potiphar's or in prison or in the palace, he's always the same. He always honors God. He always wants to do right. And he works so hard at Potiphar's house that Potiphar puts him in charge of everything. Potiphar knew not what he had in the house save the bread that he did eat. But somebody else noticed Joseph too. The Bible says Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. That's not two ways of saying the same thing. Uh, that, uh, that means he had a handsome countenance and a good physique. So he'd have been a lot like... Um, okay, he'd been a lot like Brother Green and I think we used to be. <laughs> Mrs. Potiphar said, hey, you and I ought to get together. And Joseph said, no, ma'am. No, your husband's trusted me and he's kept back nothing from me but you because you're his wife. And he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And, and she goes after him again and again. And she gets so frustrated that finally she, she grabs at him. And he runs away, leaves his coat in her hand. And she turns to the tables and said, hey, this slave you brought in has been trying to hit on me. And Joseph winds up in jail. He rises to the top. Whatever was done in the prison, Joseph was the doer of it. He sees a couple of those that are fellow prisoners, but now under his direction, and they look sad. Anybody who's ever been a prison guard will know how much you care about the emotional well-being of all the prisoners. Joseph did. He said, this is sorrow of heart. Well, we had some dreams. I think if I'd been Joseph, I might have said, well, I do a little dream interpreting. Let me see if I can help you. Not Joseph. He said, do not interpretations belong to God. And he said, the butler, you're going to have three days and then you'll be back in Pharaoh's house. And the only time he asked for help in the whole story, he said, think on me when it shall be well with thee. But yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. 
long time in the life of Joseph, the star wasn't shining. But that's not just how God does it with Bible characters. That's how he does it with us. You support a missionary. They come and they say this. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I like to travel. And I like warm climates. And so I thought I'd go to Spain. I like bullfights. And if you give me some money, I'll go be a missionary in Spain. And we'll see how it works out. Is that what they say? Well, they say, God has called us to the land of Spain. And they go. And even if they've taken a survey trip, when they get there, it's really strange. Food's different, and the language is different, and the music's different, and the architecture's different, and the smells are different. And they go to a thing called culture shock, and they work really hard, but nobody comes. And it's not long into the journey that the bright light of their call begins to dim, and they wonder if they made a mistake, and they don't know if they're going to succeed or not. It's not long till the star stops shining. Young man starts a church. Other churches help them. They seed the area with John Romans and they knock on doors and they have a good start and they get 35 people on the first Sunday and the preacher's excited and they have 22 on the next Sunday and 17 on the next Sunday and pretty soon it's him and his family for some of the services and he begins to wonder if it's going to work or not and maybe he should have gone somewhere else and maybe he's not capable of doing what he thought he was going to do. It's not long till the stars stop shining. Christian gets convicted about tithing. The tithe is the Lord's. We gave an offering tonight. You didn't have to give. You just had to obey God and do whatever God told you to do. But the tithe is the Lord's. And, and the preacher preaches on that and you don't want to steal from God. And so you write out that tithe check and with trembling hand you drop it into the plate. And you run home to see if you've already gotten the notification that you've won the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. few weeks go by and you got less money than you've ever had the bills are the same as they've ever been and you didn't get any raise and you didn't get any overtime and nobody died and left you money the IRS didn't call you up and say we've made a mistake we owe you about five thousand dollars you begin to wonder if it's going to work the stars stop shining taking a Sunday school class beginning to go out and give people the gospel whatever you want to think of young people get married I've been married almost 46 years. Got married when I was 20, and my wife was 19. I would not do that. If I were doing it over again, I would get married sooner. <laughs> I was single 20 years and married almost 46. Married is better. But they're going to have the perfect marriage. They always agree, and they never have any troubles, and everything's going to be wonderful. And after a little while, she discovers things about him she never knew. Ways he can smell, <laughs> messes he can make, things he can forget. He knows the batting average of everybody on the Braves, but he cannot remember to bring home a loaf of bread. And men begin to realize after a little while they don't understand their wives very well at all. Somebody gave me a book one time. It really happened. It was in Lexington, Kentucky. The book said how, what a man can do to understand a woman. I opened it up and every page was blank. <laughs> you 
Because women, sometimes they say no and they mean yes, and sometimes they say no and they mean no, and it's your job to tell the difference. And they're strange. Women are strange creatures. They, they think every little pocket and hole and recessed area in a car needs to be filled with trash. There's tissues and straw wrappers and receipts. Women, are, they're, they're crazy. They treat the car just like you treat the rest of the house. And after a while, boy, the star stops shining. You know why God does that? Because we walk by faith and not by sight. I got a lot to do. I pastor a church, will till May 19th, God willing, be my last Sunday as pastor of First Baptist Church. I'll have finished by that time 44 years in one day as pastor of that church. And I preach out. I've been preaching 60, 65 meetings a year for a long time. And I put out a little paper called The Preacher's Page. And I write a couple articles for another magazine that comes out. I got a lot of stuff to do. And I'll just get it figured out by the gravelly. And, and I'll think, okay, I can do this and this day and this at that time and this there. And every, about, about the time I think, okay, I got, it, I got it organized. God says, good, and I want you to do this. I said, Lord, I just finally figured out how to do that. And Lord says, I know you had it figured out. I didn't want you figuring it out. I wanted you trusting me. What you do when the star stops shining is really important. A lot of people get off track. It gets a little dark. Things are uncertain. They can't see the end from the beginning. They don't know how everything's going to work out. Heard about an old man sitting by the side of the road and a traveler came by and said, is this the road to such and such a place? He answered him strangely. He, he said, well, he said, uh, he said, you know, where are you from? He told me, he said, you've come too far to go back. He said, the side road is worse. And he said, this is no place to spend the night. He said to the traveler, looks to me like you might as well just go on. I don't know about you. But I've come too far to go back. I've seen what happens to people if they get off track and the side road is worse. And, and this is no place to spend the night. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I don't feel much at home in this old world anymore. Looks to me like we might as well just go on. What you do when the stars stop shining is really important. But you know what? They got to the very end. The star shine took him right to the place where Jesus was. And you know what? When Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, God gave him Isaac. And you know what? Uh, David was anointed to be the king of the nation of Israel. And do you know that Joseph did see his brothers come and bow down before him? And then he remembered his dreams. So three statements and I'll be done. My motto as I'm getting older is if you can't be good, be short. I must confess that many times I am neither. <laughs> Statement number one, the star doesn't always shine. It just doesn't. There's a lot of times, there are times, preacher, you've been here 20 years? 
You folks, members of this church, there's a lot of times if you'd come to your preacher and say, preacher, what are we going to do about that? If he'd told you exactly what he's thinking, he'd have said, uh-uh. <laughs> I thought he had a hotline to heaven. He does, but it's the same one you have. Start to know his shine. Number two, God expects us to be faithful when the star doesn't shine. I like what the wise men did. They, they just did the best they knew. They were the king of the Jews. And so they went to the capital of Jerusalem. And, and I, they just did what made the most sense at the time and what was consistent with what the original call that God had given them, the original direction that they'd had from the star that they saw in the east. And it is required in stewards not that they be fancy, but that they be faithful. Not that they be successful, but that they be faithful. Not that they be well known but that they be faithful not that somebody likes what they do but that they be faithful I may not be able to succeed at everything I try I may not impress everybody with everything I do I can never satisfy every member of the First Baptist Church of Bridgeport by the grace of God though you and I can be faithful statement number three Herod called the chief priests and scribes of the people together. And he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Now at the very end, the star came, took him right to the house where the Lord Jesus was. But they didn't start out to Bethlehem because of a star. They started out to Bethlehem because of a book. Hey, I don't always have a star, but I've always got a book. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We misunderstand that verse. We think of some five-cell big mag light that'll shine from here to Nashville. There wasn't any such thing in Bible times. I got a little knife I carry. It's got a light at the end. That light is brighter than almost anything they had to travel by in Bible times. What they had was an oil lamp that they put on their ankle because if they held it up here, it wouldn't even shine enough light to show them if there's rocks in the path or snakes in the way or a pothole in the road. And it just gave them enough illumination to tell them where to take the next step. I want to know what's going to happen way down the road. I'm done pastoring May 19th. See, what we can be I have no idea I don't know how many meetings you gonna have I don't know I know how many I got now I don't know how many I'm gonna have in the future and I don't even know if all those will stay people cancel me every once in a while those are the people that invite me before they hear me <laughs> then they get on YouTube you ever know that we have a conflict we hate you <laughs> I don't know, but I got a pretty good idea of my next step. I got an idea sometime in the next hour or so I'm supposed to end this message. I got an idea I'm supposed to go back and get some rest and get up in the morning and come to church. I got an idea uh, about Wednesday morning at 6.15 I'm supposed to get on an airplane and go back home and preach the midweek service at our church. I don't know the whole path, but I always have a pretty good idea of my next step. And I want you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, we may not always star, have a star, but we've always got a book. I always know that I should be in church because the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I always know that I should live separate from the 
world because the Bible says, touch not the unclean thing. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Always know that I should give people the gospel because the Bible says to preach the gospel to every creature. Always know that a husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church and as he loves his own body and a wife should submit to her husband as unto the Lord and the children should obey their parents and parents should raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because the Bible tells me so. Hey, listen, I don't always have a star, but I've always got a book. Danny Maella was 11 when the automobile accident that cost him his left arm occurred. After he healed physically, he was still real depressed. His parents somehow had an idea of hit on the idea of enrolling, enrolling him in judo classes. And Danny kind of liked it. Now, normally when you take judo, you learn some basic throws. You learn the ogoshi, the okigoshi, the osotogari. If you do well on those, they'll teach you the kawasaki, the suzuki, and the yamaha. But the teacher, the sensei, had Danny do one throw over and over again. One, any of the throws the other kids were learning. Just one throw. But Danny liked it. He enjoyed it. And one day, sensei said, Danny, I think you're ready to enter a tournament. Got his parents' permission, picked him up, took him down to the tournament. Danny won the first round easily. Second round was hard, but he won it. Third round was really hard, but Danny won that. And now he finds himself in the finals. His opponent is larger, older, stronger, more experienced. And Danny's having a rough time. As a matter of fact, the, the sensei, uh, the referee went to the teacher and said, uh, would you like us to call the match? Danny was really getting beat up. He said, no, Danny would be fine. Danny was game. He got up every time he was thrown. He saw his opening. He reached in and he executed the only throw that he knew. He not only flipped his opponent, he pinned him to the mat, and he won the match. Crowd went wild, little one-armed kid beating this older, bigger guy. Danny gets his trophy, he goes home. And on the way home, the ride's kind of quiet. And he says, Sensei, why did I win? I only have one arm, and I only know one throw. And the teacher said, Danny, there are two reasons you won. One is that you have mastered or nearly mastered one of the most difficult throws in judo. The second reason is that the only known defense against it is to grab your opponent by his left arm. <laughs> Danny didn't know that. He just knew. The teacher said, learn that throw, learn that throw, learn that throw. Hey, I'll promise you. You do what the Bible says and you stay faithful and the star doesn't shine. And one of these days we'll get to heaven that our brother so wonderfully preached about. And you'll say, oh, 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 that's how that was working out. That's what God was doing. I didn't know that. The star doesn't always shine. God expects us to be faithful when the star doesn't shine. We don't always have a star, but we always have the word of God. Father, help us. I don't know the needs of the people here, but you do, and I trust that you...